Hello, everyone. We'll start in about one minute. Just before we start, make sure to check your phone that it's turned off or put on silent, please. Check your phone. Hello, everyone. Happy Sabbath. Welcome here to Burlington Congregation. Welcome to our guests. Also, nice warm welcome to all of you who are watching us online. Today is the last Sabbath of this month, according to the Roman calendar. And it's just like that. Next week, we'll have March. And with March, we'll only be 48 days before the Passover. 48 days. So please stand. At this time, we'll ask Brother Larry to do the opening prayer. Bow your heads. Great eternal and almighty heavenly father, creator and sustainer of all that is. Father, we thank you for the privilege that it is to come before you on this, your Sabbath day. We thank you, Father, that you have called us out of this world and you have given us the, the privilege to be a part of your kingdom. Father, we realize with what is going on in the world, that time is short. And we are here, Father, to celebrate the future, the future after the end of this age, when we will be with Christ and we will govern the people of the earth. We will turn things around, Father. We thank you for the privilege that you have given us to do this, to show the people of this world what good governance is and what good law is, and they will be happy. Father, thank you for all this. We ask that your hand would be upon the one who will teach us today and upon the message that you have given him to give to us. We thank you, Father, that you watch over us and that you inspire us and that you guide us through this life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brother Larry. Just grab your hymnal and turn to page 251. Page 251. We'll sing, There is a fountain filled with blood on page 251. The fifty one. Thank you. 
Just go back to page 
singing brethren at this time we have a scripture reading and the scripture reading is taken from the gospel of Luke chapter 11 verses 1 to 4 Luke chapter 11 verses 1 to 4 will be read to us by brother Len Luke 11 verses 1 to 4 now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place when he seized that one of his disciples said to him Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. So he said to them, When you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, and your will be done. On earth, as it is in heaven, give us day by day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Thank you, Brother Landon. And at this time, please be seated. Now we go to the main message for today, entitled Praying Through Troubled Times. Praying Through Troubled Times will be given to us by Pastor Mori Palmatier. online. Welcome to the crowd we have here. It's great to see everybody again. Quick celebratory note. Sabbath marks nine years. During the course of, I think it was Wednesday, it was, uh, we remembered that we started nine years ago when we first gathered back. Those of you who were there remember the Holiday Inn that we gathered at in Burlington nine years ago to launch a new congregation and what a nine years it's been. We watched eight children and teenagers pass into adulthood, several baptisms, almost as many deaths, and a whole lot of fun and learning and growing along the way. So it's been a great nine years. We're very blessed and now blessed to share this with everybody who's watching us online each week as well and are here in person. Well, what a difference a week makes. What a difference a week makes. I suppose we could say that every week, it seems now. When I first crafted the idea of this message last Sabbath, the world was focused on a group of peaceful truckers trying to make life just a little difficult for some politicians in hopes that voices could be heard. Boy, and were they ever heard around the world. It's been many decades since Canada led global news segments 
like we did over the last month. Then the Emergency Measures Act came, was invoked for the first time since being renamed the War Measures Act. For those of you who go way back into 1970, you'll recall the War Measures Act was invoked with, with the FLQ crisis. But it was only invoked last week for a couple of days when it became painfully obvious to even the most hardened politicians that they couldn't back up the need for it anymore, at least not legally. Then a tyrant bent on returning countries to a communist system began what seems to be a plot to cement his legacy on returning Eastern Europe to Soviet control. Politically, this couldn't come at a better time. Something for all of us to unite behind. Now analysts are correctly warning of crises that will certainly affect us here, most, notab most notably financial impacts of the conflict in Ukraine. Supplies of oil will be affected, which will then trigger increases in the prices of fuel, which will then trigger prices for all of the regular goods that we pay for, that we've become accustomed to, our food, basic needs, clothing, ability to get to and from work. All the while, China sits back and watches this all happen while they plot what they might inflict next upon the world. What can we do besides pray? Last year, as most of you know, was certainly a most trialsome one for our family. As we watched my wife go through her months-long battle with pneumonia, I don't know if there was ever a time that I prayed more, at least in terms of volume and intensity, Rightly or wrongly, that is the human condition. Let's open here, as I still introduce the topic, and go to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. We'll begin in verse 23. Matthew 4, verse 23. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. Great multitudes followed him from Galilee and from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. And continuing into chapter 5, seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them. And we see here, when Christ began his ministry, he selected a group of 12 disciples, followers that would ultimately become leaders of his flock when he returned to be with the Father after his resurrection. Well, at least 11 would. As the crowds increased, he walked off into the mountains, as we read, where they would ultimately join him, and he taught them. We know this is the Sermon on the Mount, well-known and well-taught piece of scripture. We can really think of this as a course syllabus. You remember back in high school or university or college days where at the beginning of a course, you'd get a, a, a pre-alert as to what the professor or the teacher would teach over the course of the, of the term. Here, this is what amounts to a course syllabus for Christ's ministry, what they would learn from that point forward. 
in this course syllabus, turn with me to chapter 6, beginning in verse 5. And as part of, between verses 5 through 15, as part of this introduction, he covered prayer. Verses 5 to 8, he covers the how and the where to pray, the mindset we should have. When you pray, he begins in verse 5, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your father who is in the secret place, and your father who who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for, our, for your father knows the things you have seen you have need of before you ask him. And in this manner, therefore, pray. And then we know uh, Brother Landon read a version of this from Luke. We know the Lord's Prayer that we have here between verses 9 through 14. Verse 14, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So he, initially in this opening syllabus, teaches them about prayer. Oddly, though, much later in his ministry, after even after the 70 were chosen, and after the 70 were sent out two by two into every city ahead of Christ, trying to prepare those cities for Christ's passing through. You can find that in Luke chapter 10. We see a very odd question that the 12 asked him much later. Let's go to Matthew, uh, Luke 11. Luke 11. Very, in context, it's an odd question. This is much later in his ministry. Again, after the 70 were sent out, much later. If you've heard this study on Luke by Pastor Adrian in the Line Upon Line studies, I believe he referred to this as the Sermon on the Plain different from the Sermon on the Mount, and, and a little bit later in Christ's ministry. But in verse 1, they asked him a strange question. It came to pass, as he was praying in a certain place, when, when he ceased, that one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John had taught the disciples. Weren't they there at the Sermon on the Mount? Didn't they, didn't they hear him? He covered this, in fact, in more detail than than we have here. He covered this. It was part of the reason that they continued to follow him into the mountains and became his disciples, and he set this up for them. Yet, weeks, months, we don't know how long, later, when he they had it, they had time and they were watching him, how he interacted and how he acted on his own. They said, "Teach us to pray." Why didn't Christ say? Weren't you paying attention? I already covered it once. But there is some variation here. Had they forgotten? What he didn't do, as we heard read in the scripture reading, was he didn't go through the procedures covered in Matthew 6. He didn't cover the hows, the whys, the attitude we should have, how often, uh, uh, and other explanations. He simply went through a list of items that they covered in prayer, that they were to cover in prayer. This afternoon, what I would like to do is I I would like to analyze this teaching moment in Luke 11 against the backdrop of the world we find ourselves in today. 
against the backdrop of the many messages you hear, not just from this pulpit, but others, the messages of warning each week, and against the backdrop of what we're most assuredly going to face as, the, as what we are promised to face as the return of Christ approaches. Because we recall, we remember what is written in Revelation, that the adversary will make war with the saints. So let's analyze this section of Scripture against the backdrop of all that we've been through, all that we're seeing going on, and all that we expect to happen in the future. Sometimes, in times of trouble, all we can do is pray. So let's make the same request the Twelve did and ask, Lord, teach us to pray. You may think you already know, and perhaps you do. Perhaps you do. But do your prayers change depending on the intensity of the times you find yourselves in? Admittedly, mine do. Last year was, I had never prayed with more intensity than I did last year. Admittedly, we, I think we can all say the intensity of the times affects the intensity of our prayers. Let's analyze this prayer and see what we can learn from it. We'll begin here, and we'll stay here. for Put a marker there if you like. We'll go back and forth to it. The first line, our Father in heaven. Now, some translations say that the original documents don't have the words in heaven, but that these were added by the translators. That may or may not be true. But why start by calling God Father? Why not call him by the name that was revealed to us in the Hebrew Scriptures? In our prayers, Christ tells us, we're to call him Father, which really is Dad or Daddy. That's how we start our prayers, is to refer to the Father as Dad. Turn with me, if you would, to Matthew 27. Why, why would Christ open with this? Matthew 27. Matthew 27. We'll cut into the context here during the crucifixion account. We'll just read a couple of verses here. Verse 50, we'll begin in verse 50, Matthew 27. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. He died. He wasn't in purgatory. He wasn't in some ethereal existence. He died. And then behold, immediately upon his death, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And then we see some other events that happened. But the veil of the temple was torn in two. This is a critical, critical moment in the crucifixion account. The veil of the Holy of Holies being torn in two. Let's go to Hebrews 1. Just look at this a little closer. Hebrews 1. Verse 1, God, Hebrews 1, verse 1, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets and has in these last days spoken to us by his son. So we're starting to see a familial relationship develop here as, as Paul here, the, the writer of Hebrews, which we assume to be, well, seems to be Paul, through whom he also made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the, by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down 
at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has, by inheritance, obtained a more excellent name than they. So recall back to what we read when the veil was torn in two. Our entire relationship with God changed when that veil was torn in two. At that very moment, it changed. And it allows us to communicate with him as father. As father. The book of Hebrews expands in great technical detail about how these relationships, their relationship with each other and ours with them, were further refined by the sacrifice of Christ. But that veil being torn in two at the moment Christ breathed his last changed our relationship with God, and it allows us to call him Father. Let's go to Romans 8, see the impact of this. Romans 8. We'll cut in at verse 15. Romans 8, verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. That's not why we're here, to fear. We've heard about fear repeatedly over the last number of weeks. But you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. By whom we cry out. There's, there's, a, there's an emotional connection here we now have with God by which we can at any time cry out to him, Abba. That's the Hebrew word for dad, for daddy, Abba. The spirit himself, the spirit itself, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. There's a familiar relationship that continues to develop because that veil was torn in two. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, our father, and joint heirs with our elder brother, Jesus Christ. If we indeed suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. This is not some ethereal feeling we have with God but an actual familial relationship. This is why marriage and family are critical institutions that were set out for us in creation. God interacts with his covenant people as dad. That's how he interacts with us. He interacts with us in a number of other ways too, but he interacts with us as dad. Which is why he gets so exasperated throughout the prophets at our collective behavior over the years as the covenant people. He's our dad first. This is how we should think of him, as our dad. Now that my kids are grown and on their own, and even though Caitlin still lives at home, she's generally on her own, responsible for herself, lives under the same roof, but the relationship is different. They're both adults. They're on their own. Some of the happiest times of the week that I have are when they reach out just to say hi because they're doing it voluntarily. They're reaching out just to check in with dad. Not because it's forced, not because we have a family rule that we used to have where we all sat around the dinner table and we, we were forced to be in the same room together and talk. No, we reach out because they're just checking in. Whenever I get a note or a call from Caitlin, Landon, and now Becca, it's not forced. It's simply because they want to check in with dad. Because they want that, because a relationship with our children is one that they want, not just me. And it's simply indescribable what it's like to get a call or a note 
Caitlin and I work for the same company. We have an inter-office chat. She'll send me little things throughout the day, and it, it brightens my day. This is how God, this is how and why God views us as dad. This is why Christ starts out by saying, when you talk to the father, call him Abba. Call him dad. Our father, which art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be thy name. His name is set apart. It's holy. It's sanctified. Sometimes when we use words like holy, they kind of get overused. And if we don't think about them, they lose their impact. His name is holy. And it's something to be revered or regarded as special, which that word means, as Strong defines the Greek word, hagiatso. It is to be revered. It is set apart. It is something to be regarded as special. Let's go to Psalm 68. Psalm 68. Last year, in the weekly studies, Pastor Adrian presented a detailed study, which you can find in the Line Upon Line archives, on the name of God and the pronunciation of the letters Y-H-W-H as Yehovah. Others maintain it is pronounced Yahweh. Verse 1 here of Psalm 68. Let God arise. Let his enemies be scattered. Let those also who hate him flee before him. Psalm 68, verse 2. As smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As wax melts before the fire, so let the wicked perish at the presence of God. Let the righteous be glad. Let them rejoice before God. Yes, let them rejoice exceedingly. Sing to God and sing praises to his name. Extol him who rides on the clouds by his name, Yah, and rejoice before him. David here shortens it to the first syllable and calls him Yah. Whatever you have faithfully studied it to be, know that when you use that name, it is holy. It is set apart. And it specifically identifies him as the ever-existent one. There were many gods that the covenant people have been enticed to serve over the centuries and millennia of their and our existence. There is only one ever-existent one. Only one. Only one. The prophets, as we continue to study, and as you've seen and read following along in the studies, make it a point to come back always to the power of his name. It is important. It is special. He is the ever-existent one. So much so that it is included in the Decalogue. Let's go back to Exodus 20. It is included in the, in the Decalogue. Exodus chapter 20. Verse 7, the third commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Reverence for his name is so important that it is included in the Ten Commandments. The very foundation of the Torah. As we've discussed before, this is so much deeper than simply using the names of God and Christ as curse words. Though that's profoundly disrespectful and should never be done. But it's so much more than that. As part of his family, the covenant people, he bestowed us, bestows upon us his name. Like any father that passes that on to their, their children, that's a gift that we get. And he gives us his name. 
We are heirs of God. We are potential children of God. We are heirs according to the promise. All those verses that, that come, come to mind. He bestowed us upon us his name. And we are to live in such a way at all times that his name is upheld. That his name is upheld. That when someone sees us, we are reflective of the Father. We are reflective of the ever-existent one. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Let's go to Isaiah 65. Isaiah 65. Verse 17. Isaiah 65, verse 17. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem as a rejoicing, and her people a joy. I will rejoice in Jerusalem, and joy in my people. The voice of weeping shall no longer be heard in her, nor the voice of crying. No more shall an infant from there live but a few days, nor an old man who has not fulfilled his days. For the child shall die 100 years, and the sinner being 100 years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall build and another, they shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree, so shall be the days of my people. And my elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain, nor bring forth children for trouble. For they shall be the descendants of the blessing of the Lord and their offspring with them. And it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together, the lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. All of the prophets, and we could go any, we could go any number of places to talk about the kingdom of God, but all of the prophets, as we are studying, ultimately conclude with the vision of the kingdom of God. God's government, with earth as its centerpiece, and more specifically, Jerusalem and the land promised to Abraham will be the place from which God will dwell with us and where all people can come to worship. Let's go back to Romans 8. We were there earlier. Let's go there again. Romans 8. Verse 12 is where we'll pick it up. Verse 12 of Romans 8. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Then we read uh, verses 15 through uh, 17 earlier, talking about, the sons of adoption, and referring to the father as Abba. Let's drop down to verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. 
For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope, for why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. In prayer, in prayer, it becomes a point of focus, the kingdom of God. That's why he includes it here. This is where our vision should lie. This is especially important during times of trouble. And quite often, when we can't see eye to eye or we're struggling with things, we need to ask ourselves, are we both, if we're in a bit of a disagreement over things, are we both being kingdom focused? Am I looking for things to be good now? Or am I looking for things to be, am I looking for the future? Am I looking for this glory that can't be compared to whatever I'm going through now? If we're focused on making this world better, that's where conflict comes in. Because we all have a different idea as to what this world, what makes this world better. But if we're focused on the kingdom of God, that's where we come to an agreement. But this is where our vision should lie. This is why during our prayers, after talking to our dad and ensuring we understand we are, beef, we are in the presence of holiness on that sea of glass in his throne room before the creator of the universe, that our focus is his kingdom. That's the world we're looking for. And it becomes especially important during times of trouble. Matthew 6. Matthew 6. These, these verses become so well read that sometimes we just read over them and for, they lose their impact. Verse 33. Seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. After acknowledging him as our dad, after acknowledging him as the holiest of all, the ever-existent one, seek you first the kingdom of God. Our, our focus our mindset is not in this world. When we die to Christ, as Paul talks about in depth in Romans 6, we give up trying to make this world right. We give that up. And we become ambassadors for the kingdom of God, as Paul talks about in Galatians chapter 3. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Being kingdom-focused, which we just talked about, segues nicely into this next point about God's will. They, they go hand in hand. We pray for peace in Ukraine. We pray for relief from natural disasters. We pray for healing. And we often only pray prayers of thanksgiving and praise when God answers our prayers according to our expectations. Think of that. Even in our intercessory prayers, when do we give prayers of thanks? When Margaret was healed? When Lisa was healed? 
what about when people die? What about when things continue to evolve negatively? Is God still hearing our prayers? Are we thankful that he's, he's hearing them? I'm speaking specifically of the covenant people here because we should have an understanding. Those of us calling ourselves the first fruits. Do we only praise God and thank him when the answers come our way? Or do we thank him for hearing us? Do we thank him for taking our, our thoughts and our, our prayers into consideration? And we, do we thank him for his will, his perfect will? Thy will be done. God's will is critical in our understanding, in our ability to be kingdom focused. Understanding his will is critical. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 7. Many turn to the scripture at times, in times of trouble. Second, I said Corinthians, I'm sorry, Chronicles. Second Chronicles 7. Give you a few more seconds to go the other direction. Second Chronicles 7. When God appears a second time to Solomon, verse 12, 2 Chronicles 7, Then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said to him, I have heard your prayer. That's something to be thankful for. I've heard your prayer. He promises he'll hear us. Imagine how the impact it would be for us to be before the Queen of England. And have her just for five seconds entertain us. Anytime we want, we have the ever-existent one of the universe ready to listen. I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up heaven and there is no rain, when God does this, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name, similar, similar prayers that we're talking, that, that Christ, uh, similar ideas here that Christ was, is teaching us in, in his model prayer. If my people who call, are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Deuteronomy 28, we covered this in the Q&A this last, last Wednesday in response to a question about a, if there is a good God, why does he allow natural disasters to happen? Deuteronomy 28, verse 58, nearing the end of this section on the covenant curses. If you do not carefully observe all the words of this law that are written in this book, that you may fear what? This glorious and awesome name. The Lord your God. Then the Lord will bring upon you and your descendants extraordinary plagues, great and prolonged plagues, and serious and prolonged sickness. Moreover, he will bring back on you all the diseases of Egypt of which you were afraid, and they shall cling to you. Also, every sickness and every plague which is not written in the book of, this, of the law will the Lord bring upon you until you are destroyed. You shall be left few in number, whereas you were as the stars of the heaven in multitude, because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. That name, that name, that glorious and awesome name. And it shall be that just as the Lord rejoiced over you to do you good and multiply you, 
So the Lord will rejoice over you to destroy you and bring you to nothing. And you shall be plucked from off the land which you go to possess. We pray for healing. We pray for relief from pestilence. We pray for relief from distress. We pray for peace in Ukraine. God wants repentance. God wants repentance. This is why atonement is such an important holy day, as he anticipates the national repentance of his covenant people, which will then bring about the millennial reign of Christ. We want peace in Ukraine. We want relief from financial and political crises that have plagued us for two years that we can think of now, our, our, our immediate focus. We want healing from sickness. What if what we are seeing happen are the curses God has instituted for failure to obey and that these things are meant to show the world the futility of its ways? Do we, are we praying against God's will or do we pray for his will? Do we appeal to him what we hope his will will be? But do we, do we, do we pray for his will? As hard as that may be to accept. That maybe, maybe I'm going to die. Maybe I'm going to lose my job. Maybe it will be tough. And this easy life we've had for all these years is not going to be our reality. What if all of this is meant to drive us or someone or, or some people to repentance? What if that's what this is all about? What if that's what this is all about? This is where your kingdom come and your will be done collide. Kingdom-focused people pray for repentance and for God's will to be done and the courage to accept that will for whatever it will be. When Sheila, Ray, Reg, and Yvette died, God answered our prayers. When Margaret and Lisa and others were healed, God answered our prayers. It's easy to thank God when things go our way. But what about when they don't? What about when his will is different from our will? Are we still thankful? Do we, do we have an attitude of why me? Why isn't God blessing me? This isn't fair. Or are we thankful that God even knows who we are? A well-known writer, Rabbi Harold Kushner, you may not know the name, but he's a well-known author of many books, including Why Bad Things Happen to Good People, made the following observation. We need our question to change from why do we have to feel pain to what do we do with our pain so that it becomes meaningful and not just pointless, empty suffering. That's what we need to consider as we pray for all the things that we pray for, for every time we come up here and have an intercessory prayer and plead to God on behalf of our loved ones who are hurting. Because as human beings, we hurt when others hurt. We suffer when others suffer. But why, do, why am I feeling pain? Why am I in this position? So what can, I, what can I learn from this? Maybe God's intent isn't for you to learn anything. Maybe, his, maybe it's time and chance. Maybe some, it's, it's to affect somebody else. But we can always learn something from the positions that we're in. And, not, it, and as Rabbi Kushner says, it not be just about pointless, empty suffering. Our Father in heaven, 
hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's step away from Luke 11 now for a few minutes and read some other scriptures. Read some other scriptures. Let's go to Matthew 6. Verse 25. Matthew 6, verse 25. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more of value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. The stuff of today, that's what non-covenant people look, look for. That's what non-covenant people pray for. Your Father in heaven knows all these things that you need. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's go back to verse 14. For if you forgive men their trespasses, we read this a little bit earlier. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians 1. Verse 7, in him, talking about Jesus Christ, go back just a few verses to get the context. In him, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins, we have that. According to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will having made known to us his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. 
In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. That we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee, which is the guarantee of our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession, to the praise of his glory, Jesus Christ. Come with me now to 1 Corinthians 10. 1 Corinthians 10. You'll notice we're not making any comments. I wouldn't do this without a purpose, so just stick with me here. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 6. Now these things, looking back, what we're going to be looking at in more in depth over the next 48 days is as we lead into Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. These things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted that we don't become idolaters, as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality, as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain, as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the age have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. And now verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you except such that is common to man. But God is faithful, who you will not allow to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, he will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Finally. It's not finally, finally in this section. Let's go to Deuteronomy 30. Deuteronomy 30. And then we'll get back to Luke 11. Deuteronomy 30. Verse 1. Now it shall come to pass, when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you. And you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God drives you. And you return to the Lord your God, that name, that holy, perfect name, and obey his voice according to all that I command you today, you and your children, with all your heart and with all your soul, that the Lord your God will bring you back from captivity and have compassion on you and gather you again from all nations where the Lord your God has scattered you. Who scattered them? It was God's will. And he will bring them back. If any of you are driven out to the farthest parts under heaven, from there the Lord God will gather you. And from there he will bring you. Then the Lord your God will bring you to the land which your fathers possessed, and you shall possess it. He will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants 
to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, that you may live. We read five different passages. Let's go to Luke 11. And go back to the prayer. Give us this day, give us day by day, our daily bread. And forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. When you think about it this way, how much time do we waste praying for things he has already said he will do? These four things he's promised and said he will do them. We read throughout the scriptures, promises. And yet, if you're like me, you've probably spent more time on your knees praying for things that he's already told you he will do, rather than spending time honoring him as your dad, honoring him as the ever-existent one, ensuring you're connected with his will, that you're succumbing to his will, that you're coming under his will, and that you're focused on his kingdom. Read this. Remember what we just read. Give us day by day our daily bread. Check. He promised that. We read that in Matthew 6. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. We read that in Matthew 6. Do not lead us into temptation. 1 Corinthians 10, we were there. Deliver us from the evil one. Deuteronomy 30. All promised, all promised, and that we spend most of our time begging and pleading for things he's already said he'll do. So let's read this prayer again, and allow me to paraphrase it in light of the lives you and I live today. Just a paraphrase. Good morning, Dad. In a world that seems so lost, where many flounder in lives of crime or despair because they don't have loving fathers in their lives. Every morning and all day long, you're my dad. Thank you, and thank you, Jesus Christ, for making that all possible. Not only are you dad, you're the Holy One of Israel, your covenant people, the creator of the universe, the one whose plans will come to fruition. You're set apart from all other gods that this world claims to serve. Even the adversary trembles in your presence. May your name be praised, and may the day come when all peoples will praise your holy, righteous, and perfect name. May you help me to be focused on your kingdom. It's so easy to get sidetracked by the ways, needs, and problems of this world. But my peace is in knowing that whatever happens... Your kingdom will come, and I just want to be a part of it in whatever way possible you'll find a place for me. May I really feel this deep inside, and may my behavior reflect this in all that I do, all that I say, and all that I think. We're so blessed to know that you have perfect will, perfect judgment, and perfect mercy in the perfect combination. May I have the courage to remember this when times get tough. 
when things get tight financially. When I lose my job because I have chosen to follow you to the best of my abilities. When my loved one gets sick and I just can't imagine life without them. When the prices of food get so high, I may have to adjust my lifestyle or even reach out to others for a little bit of help. Thank you that despite all of this, I know you're in complete control. Please now receive my worship of you with the humility that I give it and everything else that I need, everything else that I want. I'm going to trust for you to live up to the promises that you made as long as I live according to your word. So please help me to do that and let you take care of the rest. Imagine if our prayers, both individually and collectively, spent most of our time focused on the worship of God, the ever-existent one, and working with him, our dad, in prayer to become to help us become more like the first of the first fruits. Imagine the peace of mind, the peace of the spirit we would all have. How much more productive we could be if during the times of trouble that we prayed like this. Help me to become the child you need me to be, Dad. And let me leave the rest to you. Whatever you decide, I'll be okay with. This isn't easy. We're human beings with feelings. I miss our brothers and sisters who have died. And it's, it's hard for me to watch my wife drag around an oxygen tank just to help her breathe. I hate seeing the world war in Ukraine. I hate that evil people who so clearly hate Christ and hate all that we stand for lead our countries. I hate that things will ultimately get worse, not better. I hate that thought. But I'm grateful for his word. I'm grateful for his will, his judgment, his promises, his son. And I'm grateful for us. And I'm grateful for you. And this is why we keep the Passover together every year. For his is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you so much, Pastor Murray. What a message, what an appropriate message for the times that we live in. And yeah, you're absolutely right. It's not easy. We are all, you know, of our human emotions. You know, it's very difficult to see our family suffering. But what a lesson for us to learn. Brethren, at this time, I would like you to stand. We'll have a one hymn. And please turn to page 95. Ninety-five, sweet hour of prayer, ninety-five. Sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer. 
This time we'll have an intercessory prayer. <clears throat> we definitely have to learn how to pray properly. And no surprise, even disciples didn't know. They asked Christ on multiple occasions how to do this thing. And we do have in our segment is a part for people who really need God. And we use it every single time, every single week. This week we make a little exceptions here as we don't have many individual prayers on, the, on our channel here. But let's pray for the war in Ukraine that many innocent children, women, and civilian populations just died for no reasons. And also pray for all the brethren, not just here in Canada, but also in the states who are affected by the mandates. And as we hear, people lost their jobs, the way of life. And it's not easy, it's difficult. And it's always just start from the little simple mandates. And then it's going to go tougher and it's going to go tougher. There will be more mon- mandates along the way. So just, we're going to use this segment just to pray. All these two things. And just, if you are watching us online, don't be trouble. We'll be probably experience a few minutes of quiet time. That's what we do here in our local congregation. Just raise our prayer to God on an individual basis. So just be patient. Don't go away. We'll be back in a few minutes. It's a quiet time one-on-one. You can bring in your prayer petitions to your God. And after a few minutes, you'll see Pastor Agent come up here and link lead us into the congregational prayers.
Brethren, I'll just ask you to stand with me as we approach God together. Almighty God, creator and sustainer of all creation, we just praise you, Lord, and thank you that we can come before you as your people, people of covenant, and through Christ we can call you Father. We thank you, Father. We praise you. We are just in awe that we can have this relationship with you and that we should live at this time, that we very clearly seem to be the people upon whom the ends of the world have come. We thank you, God, that we might do great exploits on your behalf, that we might know you, know your name, preach and represent your name. And Father, we thank you for these Sabbath services, these opportunities that we have through the weekly Sabbath and the high days, the high and holy days, to come before you, to learn from you, and to be strengthened by your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father, for these nine years that we've had as a congregation, just growing, learning, bonding together, going through the different ups and downs of life together. We just thank you for this, Father, and we don't know what's ahead. We know we live in a very, very unstable time. It breaks our heart, Father, to see a war in Ukraine. Uh, War is, well, Father, you see it, and you've seen it through the history of man. And all of this is from the lust within the heart of man. It breaks our heart, Father, to know all of the suffering, the innocent lives that are being torn apart. We do pray for your mercy, Father, and yet at the same time, as we see the big picture we know that all of this will lead to the downfall of the israelite nations the weakening of these nations and ultimately the destruction and persecution of judah and jerusalem and all of this father we know from torah is to drive your people to their knees to help them realize they have no one but you help us to realize that now father so that we can preach your gospel accurately and with enthusiasm. We thank you, Father, for here in Canada, so many of the truckers and protesters who put everything on the line, and so many in an instant have lost everything. But we do thank you, Father, for them exposing very clearly the ruthlessness and the evil of those who rule over us. And lest any of us be fooled and think we can turn to them for justice, and for comfort. We thank you, God, that this has now been exposed, that they hate Christ and seek to destroy us who worship him. Father, in this time, we thank you. We pray that you will help us to be clear-eyed and bold. And we pray for your mercy on them, Father, some now having lost family, uh, home, employment, uh, their livelihoods, lost everything. We pray that in this time of their humiliation, they might have access to your word. They might realize just how fleeting all of this is and turn to Christ. 
Help us, Father, please uh, magnify our message, those of us who are preaching your word accurately. Help us to preach it even more accurately and help those who are seeking answers to find them. We pray, Father, that you'll bless our families as we struggle through this evil world. Bless our children. Help them to realize just how important family is as we live in a society that wants them to turn their backs on their family. And help us, Father, to do all we can to build strong families, strong marriages, strong children, and strong congregations. Praise you, God, for your answers to to all our prayers. We thank you for our brother, Pastor Murray, the message that he brought out to us today. And we pray, Father, that ever you'll teach us to pray. We thank you. We praise you. We glorify you. We glorify Jesus Christ. We stand in awe of you and we're full of gratitude that we could live in this time and represent you in your name. And we pray, Father, in the holy name, the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Agent. Thank you so much. And just, brethren, please remain standing. We'll have two closing hands. 162, turn your page to 162. Page 162. The mercy that never fails.
And for the last closing hymn, just turn to page 265. We'll sing together. Revive us again. 265. hear so many wonderful voices. Loving Father, great God, what a great, what a wonderful Sabbath is today, Father. Thank you for gathering us all here safely. Thank you, Father, for our visitors who drove for hours just to get here, to be present here, Father, at the services. May you, Father, guide them home back safely, protect them, all of them, all of us, Father. And thank you, Father, for another week. And as we hear in the intercessor prayer, what a blessing, Father, he still is here in Canada with all the mandates, whatever we may hold, or whatever difficulty, Father, we may have. It's just so much easier to, let's say, be right now in Ukraine in so many cities, Father, where bullets are flying and, and explosions are all over the place and innocent people are dying, Father. So thank you again, Father, for a great message that we heard today. In those difficult times, Father, teach us. Teach us, Father, how to play. Help us, Father, to be kingdom-oriented. Help us, Father, to be about your will, not just about our will, Father. And we know 
that all these basics, this necessity, Father, you already promised to us. The place to live, the daily bread, and all of these things, Father. Thank you so much for taking care of us, for being with us, for protecting us. Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you, Father. And at the end, Father, just want to thank you, Father, for all the brethren, all the food contributions that we're going to have today. Partake together. Break bread together, Father. Just bless it. And we love you. Thank you, Father. And we praise your holy name in other name, but Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. And just please remain standing. I don't have many announcements. Just a few announcements. Just the Wednesday Bible study this Wednesday, March 2nd at 7.30. Pastor Agent will go back to Psalms. And this study will be on Rumble and uh, Facebook, Canada Facebook page only. And again, we have uh, a lot of visitors here today, so remember about the hygiene. Wash your hands before the food. It's very important. Just keep keep each other safe. And here at the end, I just want to do a closing scripture, which is taken from Revelation chapter 4. And here in verse 3, And he who sat there was like a jasper, as a sardish stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Around the throne there were twenty-four elders. And on the throne, on the throne I saw twenty-four elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightning, thundering, and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the thrones there was a sea of glass, like, like crystal. In the midst of the throne and around the throne, were four living creatures full full of eyes in front and back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature was like a calf. The third, the, the third living creature had a face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around, around and within. And they did not rest day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Amen. May God bless you all, brethren.